1: At luckylandslots.com.
0: Available to players in the US, excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group, void where prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply.
2: The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily.
0: Welcome to Thursday's Football Social Daily. You know what Thursdays mean? They mean a continental flavour to the podcast as we dissect last night's Champions League affairs. Cristiano Ronaldo was a record breaker last night, having now featured the most times in the Champions League, more than any other player he was also a match winner. Not the first time we've heard that over the years. CR7 came to the fore at the death as Manchester United snatched a group stage win over Villarreal at Old Trafford. We'll pick the bones out of that, as well as Ronnie's former club Juventus getting the better of defending champions Chelsea. Thomas Tuchel's team beat 1 0 in Italy in their game last night. We'll be looking at all three European competitions on today's show, not just the UEFA Champions League, but the UEFA Europa League too as West Ham and Leicester continue their European adventures tonight. And Spurs welcome the champions of Slovenia to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in their Europa Conference League affair. All of that to come on Football Social Daily today. I'm Niall McCorn and with me to go through it all, Marley Anderson and Jim Salverson. Morning, gents.
1: Hola. Bonjour, guten tag, uh, ciao. I was expecting <laughs> oi oi. the continental theme going. I was oy, expecting, oy. <laughs> yeah, there we
0: go, because West Ham are playing tonight, of course. Uh, we'll come on to that later, but let's crack on as there's loads to discuss on today's show. We'll begin at Old Trafford last night when Manchester United snatched a 2-1 victory over Villarreal in their group stage game. Cristiano Ronaldo, the man who came up with the goods... On the night, he set a record for the most ever UEFA Champions League appearances. Now, all of the spotlight and focus, Jim, will be on Ronaldo and that goal he scored and the record he broke last night. But with the game on face value, do you think Manchester United deserved the win or not?
1: Nope. Thought they were really, really lucky. Didn't play well, didn't seem to have any obvious plan going into the game and just once again re- relied on a Ronaldo special to get him out of it. I saw some fans saying on social media last night that Villarreal were boring and didn't deserve the win, but I didn't think that was fair at all. I thought Villarreal actually made a good fist of it, certainly in the first half, had a few really good chances, forced a few really good saves from David De Gea. And I think they'll be the team that go away from this disappointed. It's not like they set up Camp at Old Trafford with nine behind the ball and played for the nil nil. They were in there to get a goal and they were in there to get a win. And I think last night kind of encapsulates the problems that there are at Manchester United at the moment and the problems with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as the manager of that team and his perceived lack of leadership is that he seems to be a very old school manager. He seems to rely on this idea of motivating a team and reminding players that they're playing for Manchester United and that's special and that should be enough to get a result. And I think the game has moved on from when he was playing under Alex Ferguson, not to do Alex Ferguson down as a very intelligent tactical manager but I think now the game is so much more technical and so much more mental than it was maybe when Solskjaer was playing that his method of sending a team out to perform isn't quite at the level it needs to be because there doesn't seem to be that level of tactical know-how or strategy going into the game and once again you find Manchester United relying on one player and Teller's goal, let's not forget, I mean, that's the goal that deserved to win it, if not Cristiano Ronaldo's, that was something else. But they can't rely on that every week. And I think Gary Neville recalled it in the post-match. He said, Manchester United are delivering moments, but those moments won't go for you in certain games. And that's exactly the point. They're relying on moments of brilliance and moments of luck. And if you compare them to Manchester City, and this is why Manchester City are so good, is they're really functional. When it comes to goals, you can see the goals they score are goals off the training ground. They're well worked. Say with Arsenal under Wenger, when they were the Invincibles. You could see where the work was going on the training ground. They're drilled. They know what they're doing. The goals might not always be as spectacular, but you can see the thinking behind them. And you don't really get that with Manchester United. So, no, I don't think Manchester United were worthy winners last night. I think they were very lucky winners.
0: I think you're right with the Teles goal as well, because even though that did look like a training ground move with the way Fernandes clipped it across... How many times is Teller's going to try that and it doesn't come off? You know, he shanks it, comes off of his shin, goes over the top. So for him to meet that as sweetly as he did and find the corner, um, you're right, is a moment of individual quality. But I thought David De Gea was really good again last night, Marley. He's been excellent all season. I think he's come up with some huge saves in the Premier League, some really important ones last night.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think um, his performances were, well, this season have been brilliant. um, And last night proved it, I think. If they'd had, you know, De Gea not in top form or, or maybe even Henderson in goal, it could have been it 3-0 at half-time, like easily. You know, there they they were saves he was making which were at the top of his game. I think Dan Juma had a couple and Paco Alcacer had a header and a, and a, a chance he, he, he wasted as well. But, um, yeah, he's he's, been, he's probably been his best player when you take out all the, the hype over Ronaldo. He's probably been as good as Cristiano Ronaldo, if, if not better. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's something the rest of the team just need to pull themselves to to his level at the minute because they they're just sort of floating along and and almost expecting to win games and not actually trying to to produce something that will actually win them a game. It was it was a, another another weird performance that was papered over the cracks when, uh, when Ronaldo scored that late winner.
0: I, th- I thought it was interesting what Jim mentioned about tactics because. I think United tried something slightly different last night. There were rumours in pre-season that they could play a 4-3-3 at times this campaign. did seem like that was the case at at periods last night against Villarreal, that 4-3-3 formation, when Solskjaer normally prefers 4-2-3-1. And a lot of people I've seen on social media, Mali, have said that United just simply don't have the personnel for a 4-3-3 or an alternative formation. Would you agree with that? Because in my opinion, I think good players should be compatible in most systems, but it isn't always as simple as that.
2: Um I I think four three three suits them slightly better than four two three one because I feel like they've only got one defensive midfielder really in the in the entire squad and that's McTominay. Um I mean Matic is okay, but you're gonna you're gonna say Matic is is old and you wanna find a system without him, but if you look at how they, they wanna play um, and you think four three three? You think have they got wingers? Yeah, they've got Sancho. They've got Greenwood can play from out wide. Um, Ronaldo's played out wide all his career. I'm sure I'm sure he could still do a job on the left. Um, and then they've got plenty of strikers. Marshall can play from the left. Rashford when he's fit again. Um, and then you look at the centre midfielders. And Pogba's best position is when he's got two people alongside him to to sort of free him up a little bit. So if you're looking at that, you've got if you look look at a midfield three if you have a defensive midfielder, which is probably McTominay and he's probably the best of the bunch, then you look at who plays alongside me. You've got Pogba and then you've got Van Beek or, or, or even Fred, but Van der is a guy who's just never getting a chance. He, he looked frustrated again last night with, with his, um, I think he, he slammed his, or chucked his, his bib down again and just thought, well, what's the point? What am I doing here? And I, I do feel a bit sorry for him because there's a quality player in there, but he's just not getting a chance. Um, and yeah, it must be frustrating when, you know, a game's in the balance, you cost 40 million quid and, the, you know, the the, um, the manager won't won't even entertain the thought of, of putting you on the pitch.
1: I think the problem is with a four three three. where it comes to Manchester United is how do they fit the talent they've got into that formation? Because the midfield that you call there, Marley, which is probably the right midfield, you've got Pogba on the left and then you've got probably, as you say, like a Fred or McTominay playing alongside him, then... You've got so much attacking talent that you've spent a whole load of cash on to fit into that front three. You've got um, Bruno Fernandes, you've got to fit in there. You've got Cristiano Ronaldo, Mason Greenwood, Marcus Rashford. Probably Cavani, Jadon Sancho. That's not. That's not even mentioning like Anthony Martial. It's, it's almost. It's almost as if they they're a victim of their recruitment, where they have suddenly got all these players that they can't. They they're, they're trying to fit into a formation rather than going going right. This is how we want to play. We know. Like look at Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea. He's gone right. This is my formation. I'm playing five at the back. I need three people who can play in that centre back position. Then I'm playing my two double pivot or whatever the common term has changed all the time and then I'm building on the attack in front of that he looked at that he worked out how that was going to play and he recruited accordingly Manchester United have bought players that were available that had a hype around them Jadon Sancho Cristiano Ronaldo without necessarily thinking about how they were going to fit into a formation so they, they bought individuals rather than a team and I think that's the challenge they have now is they've now got to find a formation that works for bringing in as much of that talent as possible and that doesn't look particularly easy
0: I do think there are a couple of question marks as well in, in some positions I thought Dallow as Marley pointed out earlier was run ragged by Dan Juma and players are going to have bad games but you know in terms of competition for Aaron Wan-Bissaka is Dallow um, of the quality required to really make a, a strong case to get in the starting 11 ahead of Wambasaka. I'm not too sure on last night's performance but then again it's it's unfair to judge a player on, on one game and although it's been a, a sort of a poor run recently for Manchester United with uh, defeats to West Ham in the Carabao Cup to young boys in the last Champions League game, and of course at the weekend to Aston Villa as well. You know, people will say they got lucky against Villarreal, but this is what United used to do under Ferguson, Jim. They used to win games that were in the balance late on in the 95th minute. They weren't always smacking teams about 3-4-0, which some people seem to perceive was the case. I remember many times where Manchester United were being held or the game was in the balance and it was tight and they come up with something late on, just like they did last night. So it's not something we've not seen in the past. It, It has happened from a Manchester United perspective
1: before. Yeah, but the results around it have some context to that, don't they? If you've won four out of your last five and then you have a lucky win, which you should have lost that's okay. You can accept that. When you come off the back of losses to West Ham and Aston Villa, who are two teams you should be beating and then face the team that are 11th in the league currently, who aren't having a great domestic campaign, let's not forget, despite their presence in the Champions League, they are all teams you should be beating. You shouldn't be relying on those lucky breaks, those lucky wins. So I get what you're saying. It's like there's that cliche, isn't it? The sign of a good team is winning when you don't deserve to, winning ugly. But if you're going to have that tag, if you're going to do the sign of a good team stuff, you need to win games convincingly as well and I think they are few and far between for Manchester United have they really had a dominant performance since the opening day against Leeds I don't know I, I don't think so I don't I don't think that was I mean that there was a lot of hype around yeah. that win <laughs> Newcastle potentially you yeah, might the, say it was they pretty haven't. comfortably <laughs> yeah but uh, Newcastle isn't it Marley <laughs> exactly <yeah. laughs> so I mean I'm not sure I don't think they're putting in those performances that warrant that kind of sign of a good team tag at the moment
0: Well, maybe that win over Villarreal with Ronaldo's late winner will be a turning point for Manchester United and for Solskjaer. They won 2-1 in their Champions League group stage game at Old Trafford. A really important win in the context of the group for them as well after losing to young boys in their opening group game. Chelsea were on the receiving end of a defeat though. Their opponents Juventus in Turin. That's two losses in a row now for Chelsea, but they have lost to Manchester City and Juventus admittedly. But they didn't score any goals in those games, Marley. Is that of concern for Thomas Tuchel at all? Because he'll be disappointed that being defending Champions League winners that they didn't get at least something away from home against Juventus, perhaps.
2: Uh, yeah, you can be slightly concerned. Um, I think with the way Juventus have been, I said it on yesterday's podcast, Juventus haven't got a chance in in winning the way they're playing at the minute. And of course, it manifests itself in, into a 1-0 win for Juventus. And it was just typical because they've they've not been any good at all and with Chelsea coming off the back of a defeat I thought it'd be like a, a bit of a wounded animal situation, they'd come back and, and have a, a sort of comfortable performance. But again they were they weren't as bad as Man United were against Villarreal, but they were they really struggled and they didn't really look like scoring and I just think every time Chelsea don't score, you know, I watch the highlights and there's always there's always something that Lukaku could have done. And there's always like a chance and you just, all I think is, I just remember the time he was at Man United and Everton and he could never score against the top teams and it was a criticism that just never went away. And That's exactly what Manchester United
0: fans say about Lukaku yeah. and about why it was right for him to leave. You know, it wasn't that he couldn't score goals, it's that he wasn't scoring goals against the bigger sides in the big games. And yeah. in the last two games, he's cost 97.5 million against Manchester City and against Juventus. And he's he's sort of not really been involved, has he?
2: Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a genuine criticism. It's not, it's not like... Uh... A narrative without truth, like the stats are there to back it up. He, he doesn't score against the top, the top teams. And if you want to win the Champions League, like Chelsea, you'll want to win the Champions League this year. You know, you've got to score against top teams over and over again. And you know, he, he had the he had a, a half chance last night, word from a smartly worked corner, but you know, sort of got an, an average sort of shots like contact on his shot. And I'm just thinking, you know, like that's quite a a, a decent chance in this game because Juventus aren't a great team but they still have Benucci at the back and Chiellini and, and De Ligt. they have all these these options that that are going to make it hard for you to score especially when they've been on such a poor run they're going to be doubly um motivated when the um when the you know, European champions come together uh, come to come to the, their patch and, and try and beat them but Lukaku's is just you know he had a one on one as well and Benucci got back and he blazed it over the bar, or, or just wide, couldn't see because the camera angle. But you know, it's just there it is again, like rearing its head But at what point do he start saying again, like you know, it's it's this same problem with him because he needs to he needs to start start stepping up. In my opinion, you can't just be a bully against the smaller teams. Um, you've got to you've got to chip in.
0: And also, seeing as he came from Inter Milan, he would have fancied his chances of scoring against Juventus yesterday, particularly with the form that Juventus are in. It was Chiesa who got the Juve goal. He's a player for me who I thought was really good during the Euros, and I'd hate to play against him if I was a defender, because he just looks so determined. It, it, It looks like there's nothing he will ever give up on. There's no lost causes in Chiesa's world, and he scored just a matter of seconds after the restart, the beginning of the second half. And Thomas Tuchel, speaking after the game, lamented the way that they can that goal, maybe just a lack of concentration, Jim, because it's an uncharacteristic trait for a Thomas Tuchel team to concede so soon inside the restart of a match. He said it was a performance that puzzled him last night, which I thought was interesting.
1: Yeah, I think the lack of concentration thing potentially does play a part in that goal. It was so soon after the second half. I've watched it a couple of times, and you can see there's a little bit of miscommunication between, I think it was Thiago and. Jorginho, it might have been. They kind of run into each other almost and don't really seem to know who's marking who or who's picking up who. So maybe there's a little bit of a lack of organisation just so early in the half. But I think from Chelsea's point of view, it was a another missed opportunity. They seem to have the chances to win it. As Marley said, Lukaku had a couple of chances which he was wasteful of. Havertz had a chance that you would have fancied him putting away. And that's where the question marks are for me in terms of... Chelsea and how they get past these big teams is when Lukaku isn't scoring if he is going to fall into that doesn't score against the big teams uh, heritage I suppose you might say he had at Manchester United incidentally I think he did score against the big teams when he played for West Brom and for Everton I remember him scoring some goals against the likes of Liverpool and Manchester United I just wonder whether you just don't score as many goals against big teams that's just the way it goes because they're better defensively but, but anyway who's going to step up into that goal scoring mark? when Lukaku isn't? I think that's the question that Thomas Tuchel needs to answer because Chelsea struggled with that last season. They brought in Lukaku to solve that, but he can't shoulder that entire responsibility himself. But in terms of Chelsea's performance and Juventus's performance, I think we talked about Manchester United being lucky to get the goal. I think Chelsea were unlucky not to win that. It was a very... 90s Italian football esque performance from Juventus. It was it was it was it was hard working. It was attritional. It was like backs against the wall, grab a one nil win and defend it. So I can understand how Thomas Tuchel might be frustrated by that. Um, but Juventus, are one of those teams that have got, have got that in their locker. Their, their domestic form this season doesn't match up with the ability they have and the potential they have to turn it, turn teams over and get those results. So. I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't think it's anything like a crisis at Chelsea. They have lost the last two. But as you said, Niall, no, it's against the champions of England and the champions of Italy. And if you're going to lose two games, they'd be the ones you'd probably be most likely to lose, I guess.
0: Well, Juventus, I don't think, were champions. I think it was Inter Milan last season. But I, I well, do it Was it Juventus I, the year before? Yeah, I mean, they've won, I think, okay. eight or nine in a row before Inter kind of toppled them last season. But I, I totally get your point. It feels def- different for Chelsea, doesn't it? Losing to City and Juventus than losing to young boys and West Ham in the Cup, for example, <laughs> for, from a Manchester United perspective. I do see what you're saying. But anyway, Thomas Tuckle's side, beaten in their group stage game last night in Turin. They are the defending reigning uh, Champions League winners of course they'll be looking to do back-to-back for the first time uh, for a Premier League club since the Champions League era begun in 1992 and it was right to point out that Juventus haven't been great domestically neither have Legia Warsaw who are Leicester City's opponents in the Europa League tonight, West Ham United are also at home, we'll talk about those two games involving those two Premier League teams next here on Football Social Daily
2: (laughs)
0: Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss another episode of the show again. Brand new Premier League focused podcasts every single day of the top flight season. Also, if you like what you hear and you've been a long time listener to the show, why not leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think. As you leave a comment as well, that would mean a lot to us. So make sure you go and do that if that's something you can do. Time to talk about the Europa League now and also the UEFA Europa Conference League, which we'll talk about shortly. We'll start with West Ham, though, because they're in action tonight. They face Austrian side Rapid Vienna uh, at the London Stadium. And I was just thinking about the last game that West Ham had, Jim. In the Europa League, away from home against Dinamo Zagreb, a very accomplished performance. A similar display to that tonight at the London Stadium
1: against Rapid, then West Ham should run out winners, all things going well. I think the term I used to describe that West Ham performance in the last Europa League game was professional. And I think that's exactly what they need to do this time. The way that David Moyes manages his squad over the next few months is going to be absolutely key. There's going to be a lot of fringe players coming in for the Europa League campaign. And each of those fringe players needs to perform as if they want to claim a place in that first team for West Ham to progress. That said, the group's pretty kind. you fancy them to overcome Rapid Vienna. And I think when those fringe players have come in, the likes of Vlasic and Kral, they've looked really good. They've looked really impressive. So I think it will be a similar performance to we saw against, uh, who was it? Stadi- Z- Dynamo Zagreb. Z- Zagreb, that's right. Again, I think it could be the same thing again. Get
0: into it- Europe for the first time in ages and you can't even remember the teams you're playing like, against. If I could remember, I couldn't pronounce <laughs> them,
1: so it doesn't really matter, does it? So, I think it'll be a similar lineup. I think it'll be a much-changed team to the one we saw playing at the weekend. But I... Again, I mean, as long as West Ham can keep injuries down to a minimum, Ryan Fredericks got injured against Manchester United in the Carabao Cup, so he's out of this game. But as long as we can keep those injuries down, I think there's every chance that West Ham will progress through this competition. The slight concern for me is, I think, some of the players that were involved in the European Championships over the last few weeks for West Ham have started to look a little bit leggy. So um, Declan Rice, for example, Cufel, uh again, looking slightly tired, and whether they then get rested, I think, for the Europa League matches is going to be quite telling. In terms of the atmosphere at the London Stadium
0: tonight, Jim, when you first moved there from Upton Park or the old bowling ground, it was labelled as a soulless bowl. You know, that there were complaints over the atmosphere and that West Ham had lost its identity. But with the way that the team has performed in the last 12 to 18 months particularly this season with the European football back as well is that soulless bold tag gone now do you think do you think that there is a distinctive atmosphere at the London Stadium and it feels like home now for West Ham or is that still going to take a few more seasons
1: I think it feels more like home I mean I cards on the table this is coming from someone who hasn't been there yet I still haven't managed to get down to the London Stadium to actually watch a match. But certainly from what I hear from the fans that do go, it is starting to feel more like West Ham Stadium now. And part of that's to do with the effort the owners have put in. Rare bit of credit for West Ham's owners coming up in terms of making it feel like a West Ham ground. There was a new statue... Jeff Hurst, Bobby Moore, Martin Peters from the 1966 World Cup and I think that kind of that kind of thing makes it feel makes the experience of going to the ground feel more like it is West Ham's home but at the end of the day because the
0: original is still on it, it, on Upton Road isn't it Yeah yeah they, left, Road they didn't want called. to move the original, yeah, they've left the so, original there mm. Yeah
1: exactly so it, it it's never going to be Upton Park. And that's the important thing to remember. It's never going to be a small boxy stadium where the fans are right on top of the pitch because it's a modern stadium and modern, modern stadiums by their nature just have less atmosphere, particularly when teams aren't doing well, they become an atmosphere vacuum. And I think we've seen that at any team that's moved to a new stadium. It's happened at Leicester City. It happened at Manchester City. Until the good times come, it doesn't really feel like home. But when the good times come, those places can be absolutely buzzing. So I think it is just a modern stadium. It is never going to recreate the spiritual home of West Ham. But the more the team before that perform there and the better they get, the more fans are going to enjoy going there. And in just like Leicester City or Manchester City Stadium, when we get 10 years down the line, there'll be more people in the ground. That think of that as the place they go to watch West Ham than they do think of the bowling ground. So it's kind of like as the generations move forward, it naturally starts to feel like home.
0: Well, European games always produce a good atmosphere. I always think floodlit games uh, are a reason to get excited for fans. West Ham, welcome Rapid Vienna from the Austrian top flight to the London Stadium tonight. Just... If you are slightly unaware of the quality of the Austrian top flight, it's eighth in the UEFA coefficient ranking, which puts it above the Scottish Premiership. So um, I don't expect Rapid to come and lie down. I think they'll give West Ham a decent game, that's for sure. Leicester City, meanwhile, are away in their Europa League game tonight in Poland, in the capital against Legiat, Warsaw. No Kelechi Ianaccio, though, Marley, as he wasn't allowed into Poland because he didn't have the correct documentation. Brendan Rodgers kind of brushed it off as something that was unfortunate and, you know, it's it's just the thing that they're going to have to deal with tonight. Do you think we'll see this sort of thing regularly with the way that COVID is still in and around Europe and travel, or is this just, you know, an unfortunate incident which hopefully they can get resolved for next time because it'll be a miss for them?
2: Um, I really don't understand how this has happened. Um, They're they're admitting, uh, sorry, they're insisting that it's not, anything to do with covid and they're saying like it was just the wrong documentation but i don't really know i don't really know if we'll ever get the answer to what it was and i don't really know of like you know is is it a passport thing i think his passport didn't match his id or something like that
0: his visa was different to his passport i think yeah the information was was incorrect on one of the forms by the sounds of it so it it does just sound like an administrative error but you know to lose a player like in Acho in a in a mm. game in which Leicester really want to win to go top of the group, then um, you know that that's a bit of a blunder, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I, I just wonder whether it was his 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 birth date or something. But I don't know. Maybe we'll find out in the future. But his I think his only start this season have came in the um in the Europa League, and is he, you know he, we showed last season like at the end of last season how how good he is. So you know it's um it's a blow for for Leicester and for Koliche himself because he was i think he's I heard at the weekend he got like 18 goals in his last um 24 Premier League games or something like that so it's um it's something where he would want he would need that game time um you know away in in a a, a hostile atmosphere but he would want that game time to to push his way back into Brendan Rodgers' plans but you know obviously he's not going to get that with this weird Little error, but Leicester should still be still be okay, even though they're not playing in the um, in the best sort of way right now. You know they've had a couple of dodgy results, but that's what this you know the Europa League gives you a chance to f- to flush that out your system and to uh, to get a bit of momentum back in before they play the weekend. So um, hopefully for them they can they can get back on the horse and and see off uh, Warsaw. We mentioned atmosphere, and I think Legia will have a very
0: um, unwelcoming atmosphere, let's just say. Uh, hostile, I think, is a good word to describe. I don't think it'd be hostile towards the Leicester fans or the players, just trying to make it as difficult an environment as possible for the Leicester players to play in. Um, there'll be no Ndidi, he's suspended, he's suspended, due to picking up a red card against Napoli in their last group game. Johnny Evans is injured, but as Marley says, they they keep drawing and they come up against a Legia side who are in the group stages for the first time in five years. It's not often Polish sides get into European competition. That being said, despite the absences and despite the current form in the Premier League, as Marley
1: mentions, they should still win, right, Jim? You'd fancy them too, and it feels like Leicester City are a team that just need a good win at the moment. They need something to spark their season into life because they've not quite hit the highs that they did in the previous years. And the fans are beginning to feel that at the moment. We saw booing at the stadium against Burnley, was it, at the weekend when the fans were booing the result, which... It's kind of like a must be a bit galling for Leicester City as a team and as owners, given what they've achieved over the years. And that's the problem with raised expectations As you kind of raise a bar for a long period and suddenly that bar's no longer raised. That bar is the norm. So it's not now plucky Leicester playing in the European competition. It's Leicester City who should be competing for the latter stages of the European competition. So the expectations are very different and they kind of do need that win. And I think... Even though they're missing these players, they're missing Ndidi and missing Evans. They've got plenty of talent on the pitch that should be enough to overcome Ligia Warsaw as an opposition. I I think a lot of it depends on James Madison, actually, because I think he's been a bit of a miss this season. He just doesn't seem to have hit that form that he had last season. And he was always that creative spark in the Leicester midfield. You had Ndidi, who was playing more of a combative role in Tielemans, and James Madison was the provider. He was the the ticking engine in the middle of that midfield. So he needs to find his form if Leicester City are really going to spark, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think his form in the group stage is... Of last season's Europa League in the first three games in particular um, was really important in helping Leicester finish top of the group. They're away at Legia Warsaw tonight in the rather interestingly named Marshal Joseph Pidwuski's Municipal Stadium of Legia Warsaw. So uh, <laughs> that's the full name of the Catching. stadium. <laughs> yeah. So um, so yeah, looking forward to, to to seeing how they get on tonight away from home in the Polish capital. From the UEFA Europa League, the second tier of European competition on the continent, to the third. Tier, the Europa Conference League and Tottenham Hotspur, who are at home to Slovenian champions EnShermura, they are <laughs> they are the Slovenian champions, as I say, but they're in the fourth division of Slovenian football as recently as 2014. Marley and we've joked about the Euro- the Europa Conference League on the podcast in the past. We don't really understand it, but actually, for these smaller European sides like Mura, who a plain Spurs at Spurs, a Premier League side, in one of the best stadiums that's ever been built for football. It's a once-in-a-lifetime event for some of the players and the managers and, of course, the fans as well. So we saw it with Sheriff Tiraspol when they beat Real Madrid. Um, you know, that was an amazing moment. But for teams like Mura coming up against Spurs, we can joke about the Conference League, but this is a huge day
1: for them, isn't it? Before Marley answers, do you know why they were in the fourth tier that long ago? Not sure. What the reason behind it was? No. Because they were only formed nine years ago. They didn't exist before nine years ago. Talk about Manchester <laughs> yeah. City having no history. This is a team that literally have no history. And I did, I did some research because I've never heard of this team before. So their full name is Nogomento Solamura. And they were actually knocked out of the Europa League. So they went through the qualifying stages of the Europa League, knocked out by Gratz from Austria. So they, that's why they find themselves in this bargain basement league alongside Spurs. So in terms of like, you go, oh, they've never won anything before. They've never won anything because they didn't exist that long ago, <laughs> which is crazy. Well, I
0: was going to say a great day for the players and the fans, but it doesn't sound like there might be too many fans if they've only been formed nine years ago, probably still building that fan base. But I guess the point still stands for the players, Marley, doesn't it? That, you know, a chance for them to play against Tottenham, these sorts of things for a side like Mura don't come around too often.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's like, it's there. Uh, highlight of their career, they're almost like a cup final. I think they. I have seen them in in the Europa League knocking around. I think in the last couple of years, not not watched them or anything, but I've seen their name knocking around, and they're usually the one I back against them. i betting <laughs> betting accumulator going never heard of them, they'll lose. Um, but yeah, tonight is. Do you know what? I actually think Spurs have got quite lucky with this group because um, it's not. F- I mean they've got they've got Ren haven't they and um, is it what's it, is, is it a Portuguese team they got as well um, in this group but it could have been worse it could have been like really small teams and you know is probably the smallest of them that they've got and it's yeah it's it's oh it's almost unwinnable situation for them because if you if you smash them you should have you should have smashed them and if you lose to them it's the end of the world and and Nuno will probably get sacked but it's um it's just something you've got to get on with you know they'll they'll be absolutely bang up for it it's their cup final it's it's their pinnacle of their careers most of them um playing in this stadium that just held a, you know a boxing um world heavyweight title fight at the weekend <laughs> um and it's just you know everyone watched that and thought well wow, bloody hell we're going to be playing there on on Thursday night um, Rocky
0: sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It's massive, and, and they're probably thinking, you know what? They're not even that good. We can, we can do this. <laughs> and uh, well, especially after watching that first half against Arsenal that weekend, which they, they all would have done. So, mm. you know, it's, it's just this is what the tournament's about, and we do give it a lot of stick, and, and perhaps rightly so. But you know, the perfect mm. reminder this week was, as you mentioned, Tyrus Ball beat in Real Madrid. These things can happen, and the competition yeah. is. Is just that it's a competition, and that's what football is all about. It's opportunity and an exposure to to um, you know quality, yeah. um, you know quality teams that are gonna get you better in the long run. So that's uh, that's something for them to look forward to. Still a
1: bit embarrassing for Spurs even being in the competition, isn't it? This is a team that should be playing in the champion. I mean, yeah, it's, I can. They can't understand, just like say Spurs... no to it, though. I it... know what you mean, but they can't just say, "Oh, There's sorry, only... we don't fancy it." Lad. There's only
2: one way to why get it's... to get out of it. It's be to be too good to get in it. <laughs>
1: but exactly, that's exactly where Spurs should be. I mean, as a West Ham fan, I'm hugely grateful that we're in the Europa League. But even playing that, I understand why some. Football fans are sniffy about the Europa League. If you're used to playing in... And there was a time where Spurs would have been sniffy about playing in the Europa League because their ambition and their status deserve Champions League football. And here they are playing a Slovakian team that were launched nine years ago. And it, it's just, i mean, as Marley says, it's kind of a nonsensical situation. They're, they can't win the situation because they need to either batter them Even if they win 1-2-0, it's not going to be good enough. And it's just not what they need at the moment. The amount of injuries they've got as well, it's just exacerbating that situation. I just think it's a bad situation for Spurs to be in. But you're right, they can't just not play in it. No, and I get that. It's not, I mean, for me, it's a
0: little bit of football snobbery. I mean, I'll always relate it to my own experience being a Portsmouth fan. Whereas, you know, 10, 12 years ago, we were playing in the Europa League. In the UEFA Cup, we played against AC Milan, we played against Wolfsburg, teams from the Bundesliga and Serie A, and now we're playing against Accrington Stanley and Burton Albion and losing. You know, so you you can't be snobby really about where you are. You're where you are because you deserve to be there. Portsmouth are down in the third tier of English football because we deserve to be there. We've not been good enough to get back up, and when we went down we had financial problems and we were a terrible football team and we tumbled down the divisions. Tottenham are not good enough to be in the Europa League, and they're not good enough to be in the Champions League. They probably shouldn't be in the Conference League, I totally agree with you, but that's where they find themselves. And so demura. And you know, we give teams like Brentford and Brighton credit for rising up from League Two to the Premier League and oh what a great story, those plucky teams who have come up and made an amazing fairy tale journey to get to the Premier League, the promised land. And you know, we give them credit, but why are we why are we sort of saying, Oh, Spurs can't be playing against these teams? I mean Spurs are in the competition because ultimately they failed in their attempts last season to finish in the Champions League and even the
1: Europa League. But even that suggests it's a punishment. It's like it's like you're, you're not good enough. You've got to go and play in this Europa Conference League. And I don't know what the situation is. I don't know whether... Because you don't want to belittle the competition anymore because you're right, there's teams in this competition that have earned the right to be there. And teams like Mura, for example, they'll be buzzing to be playing against Tottenham. It's an amazing occasion Definitely. for them. They're playing in this yeah. amazing stadium against household names. They could be coming up against the likes of Harry Kane. Whatever happens to them, it's brilliant. But from our point of view... And from Spurs fans' point of view, they're not going to appreciate being there. They're going to look down on it. And I don't know what the solution is because do you go right championship if you're in the championship and you lose the playoff final this is what you get as a, a kind of make way do you give it to the, the team that wins the fair play league I, I don't know I don't know what the <laughs> scenario is it seems like a bit of a flawed idea to even have Premier League teams in it to be honest with you well, I wonder whether the Europa League should have been like the second string of European teams who yeah, don't necessarily make the Premier competition.
0: if you're not in the top four or five European leagues you're not included in it I definitely yeah. agree with that I think that would have made a, a better and healthier competition as well for some of the smaller clubs and give them a chance to win silverware. But Tottenham at home to Mura tonight. I wonder what the attendance will be at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Mura lost their group opener to Vitesse Arnhem, a.k.a. Chelsea Reserves, 2-0, um, who are the other team in the group. Tottenham drew with Wren one apiece, I think it was, uh, or two apiece, sorry, in their last group game as well. Surely defeat tonight for Nuno Espirito Santo and Spurs, unthinkable against the Slovenian champions N. Mura. Okay, well, that's it. We're done. Um, European competition done for another week. Uh, Obviously, the group stages uh, return, I think, in mid-October, but they seem to come around pretty quickly after that with the group stage games in and around November, December time. So I'm sure we'll be talking about more European football between now and then. Uh, Where are you going to take in the West Ham game tonight, Jim? Um,
1: I think I will be sitting on my sofa trying to watch it very legitimately on BT Sport, having paid my full subscription. (laughs) Beer or No beer. Oh, it's midweek. I don't tend to drink in midweek. Um, it's I'll Thursday. Fr- is that midweek still? The- <laughs> I'll see how the first
2: half goes. Uh, depending <laughs> okay. on the first half,
1: depends whether I'll have a beer
2: when an- when Antonio pulls up with the hamstring <laughs> injury.
0: Marley's already cracked open the Newcastle brown ale after an- another weekend of
2: supporting Newcastle United. <laughs> yeah, I had one yesterday Did- watching the uh, the cat hearing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's it for football social <laughs> daily today. We'll have a bit of a rundown on tomorrow's uh, on tomorrow's podcast of those European games that take place tonight as well as looking ahead Uh, in part to the weekend's Premier League action. We'll have a full preview of those games on our new show, The Dugout, which is released Friday night or early Saturday, depending on where you are in the world. Former Premier League players Trevor Stephen and Dean Hammond will be joining me on The Dugout to discuss the games coming up this weekend. So hopefully you can join us then. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss it. But that's it from Jim Marley and myself on today's Football Social Daily. And we'll catch you next time.
2: Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at choppacasino.com